Welcome to the Religion and Story podcast. This is our first episode of season four. So thanks to everyone who has listened to us for the past three years. To kick off season four, we are going to be talking about unity in the church and what is required. So we're going to call this one Matters of First Importance, Unity, and Doctrines. Recently, uh, the congregation that I'm a part of decided to put together a summer curriculum with uh, tough questions that people are always asking and try to provide some honest answers. And one of the questions that we came up with was, uh, when does unity matter? What matters of faith, what matters of doctrine are required for unity in the church? And so uh, when that came up, I went to my brothers and asked them, what should we say about this? How do we think about matters of unity? And for this Bible class, what I'm, I'm planning on doing, I'll end up doing this in about four weeks, is having a sheet of paper where we have 15 different issues ranging from Jesus Christ is the Son of God, uh, all the way down to um, whether or not church buildings should have kitchens, uh, and issues in between, and ask members of the class to put in a line. Where would you say is the line of demarcation for fellowshipping with other Christians? Now, of course, there's many different ways to think about this, and I had my two brothers, Daniel and Stephen, uh, do their own ranking of this. So I think the best way for us to start off today's podcast is to talk through how we thought about the ranking process. What is the difference to you between issues one and two? Um, how did you think about it when you were going through it? Uh, Dana, why don't you start us off? So, uh, Michael, you and I actually discussed a little bit when you asked me and Stephen to do these rankings uh, about some of the um, the different issues going on in my head about not how I wasn't sure how the ranking should be done. Right. Um, so I'll try to remember some of those and uh, articulate some of those different uh, conflictions that I was having in my mind. Uh, first of all, you, you want to do it basically what you've already said, which is who, who are you not willing to fellowship with? Um, on maybe to an extreme level, who, who would you not even call a Christian um, if they denied a certain belief? Um, so obviously, like, uh, we'll get more into this later, but we basically all agree that um, the most important thing is that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And if someone didn't believe that, obviously, I'd say, okay, you're probably not uh, a Christian. Um Beyond that, it's you're trying to balance uh, if something something you you may think is really important, but it's not necessarily um, crucial to uh, someone's identity as a Christian. So uh, an example would be I think Michael and Stephen y'all ranked pretty highly. Uh, the doctrine of man or the nature of man is man uh, evil or is man inherently good? Um, well, I rank that pretty low. While I'm, I'm very interested in that topic and I think it's crucial and ties to all sorts of other doctrines, um, at the same time, I wouldn't really see myself disfellowshipping um, or not uh, uh, having any sort of real qualms with someone if they disagreed with me on that topic. 
Um, and then the, the last sort of nuance to this before I throw this over to Steven is, uh, Michael, when you gave us the rankings, you actually phrased them as, uh, as sentences or as uh, declarations. So Jesus Christ is the son of God. And easy, I agree with that. But sometimes it would get to ones where it was, I'd have to reverse it in my head. Um, so you would say, uh, you, you didn't say this, but you say, uh, churches cannot have kitchens in the building. I don't agree with that. Um, and so then I have to weigh how important is my disagreement of that. And so that, that was some of the complexity of understanding what are these important doctrines? What really matters for fellowship? What matters for other doctrine? Um, what makes a Christian a Christian? Those are some of the things I was thinking of. Um, Stephen, hopefully you had a clearer mind than I did in all of this. What, what were you thinking about in this ranking process? Sure. Uh, I narrowed it down to two different uh, contributing factors. First is, is it clearly defined in Scripture? Jesus Christ being the Son of God is stated in Scripture, and so I believe that if you do not believe that, you cannot be a follower of Christ, and uh, it would be heresy not to. Um, and so on the uh, the second contributing factor would be, how does it contribute to the narrative of Scripture? Is it something that goes along with the story of salvation, of how God is saving his people? And so uh, when you look at the sinful nature of man or uh, the non-sinful nature of man being created in God's image, how are you balancing out uh, these conflicting ideas? Because, you know, both sides come from an honest standpoint with, with how they're trying to establish their point. But how does it all play out when you take all the different scriptures that might speak to the topic? Uh, what conclusion would you come to at that point? Uh, and so that, I think, it, it kind of ties into the definitions that are uh, given in scripture. But uh, as, as far as the, the storyline that we see or the narrative of salvation that God has for his people, how does it tie into that? So those are the two ways that it comes in. Yeah, Daniel. I think uh, some people would phrase that as uh, there's a web of truth and doctrine that makes up any system of ideas, and that includes Christianity. And so you, you're trying to pinpoint what are the really uh, load-bearing threads in that web? What are the right. really crucial parts that make up the rest sure. of it hold it all together. So I, I sure. like that. That's much better than mine, uh, my approach. Michael, what, what were some of your thoughts on the ranking process? Sure. Um, with a list this, you know, like this, we were, we were trying to come up with issues that would reach the full gamut. So as our listeners, viewers are looking at the listeners, why are these issues even on the same list. We, we did that on purpose to, to show the wide variation. And for anyone who's just now joining us in season four, you might not know our background. We are coming, uh, all of us are a part of the Fellowship of Churches of Christ, um, which uh, come out of the restoration movement. So there's also those particular issues that we think about a lot and other uh, Christian groups don't think about. And so, so that's, that's part of the reason why we chose the ones we did. Anyway, um, so as I was ranking them, 
Uh, yeah, first, as I, I think I can agree with y'all that there are those central core doctrines that um, I would have a hard time even calling someone a Christian uh, if they didn't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Um, and then as it, as it goes down, um, it, it seems like the, the next few, my thinking was, I can't say that someone is is seriously reading scripture. That might be overstating it, that, that they're they're not doing the text justice. Um, that I, I think that they, if they read the scripture and find a different reading, it's so egregious uh, that you know, if someone said that in Bible class, I'd have to pull them aside and have a conversation with them. Thinking about it through that lens, as you go down the list, uh, all the way down to the last one, if I heard someone say something that I disagreed with on the, the last 15 point, whatever it is, if someone disagreed with me on that, I'd probably just blow it off and, and think that, you know, it, there's, you know, if I see them on Sunday mornings, it's still my brother or my sister in Christ, and it's not worth even upsetting them at all. The higher you get up the list, the more likely I am to sit, I am, I want to, to upset their apple cart. I, I want them to think about it again, because I do believe that those are important doctrines, which is probably one of the reasons why originally I had uh, that, you know, man does not have a sinful nature or, or the nature of man. Daniel, you, you referred to that. I think that's high. Uh, even though I'm willing to fellowship with people that disagree with me on this, I want to make sure that people think about that a lot. And we'll get into just having each of us state our case for where we put uh, each of the ones that uh, we've decided to discuss on our list. Um, and the I think that we could almost have put together a blooper reel for all the <laughs> the different doctrines that we came up with that we, this list, we narrowed it down by quite a bit down to 18 where we could have gone on and on. Just, I mean, you think the church has been around for 2000 years. Uh, how many different uh, divisions have there been just between churches? So you can only capture so many in a 30 minute podcast or however long we go. Well, and uh, I think Sorry, we have about 15 minutes left. And before we get into that debate, if we want to call it that, let, let me really quickly state what I want the purpose of this class to be when I teach it on Wednesday night in a few weeks. Um, I, I, want, you know, so I want all the people in the class to fill out their list or to say, all right, here's my dividing mark. And then uh, no one puts a name on it, but then we show everyone, here's what different people put. And even though we don't all agree on this, we're still unified. We still come to church Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, a fellowship meal some other time or a service gathering. We're still unified, even though we tend to disagree on these things. Now, you might feel, based off of where some of these different lines are, that some people need to think about these things a little more. But part of being a Christian is, is wanting unity first and being willing, uh, being humble um, in the face of unity. Uh, Ephesians chapter four, the first few verses, Paul says that we're supposed to be humble first. And that's what, you, uh, what leads to one Lord, one faith, one baptism, is that we are humble knowing that we are a part of God's church. Uh, Daniel? You brought up our um, heritage and the Stone Campbell movement. And that's one of, that's one of two main emphases of that movement is unity. And so I'd hope that uh, all of our churches and 
presumably most of our listeners coming from those uh, churches are looking for that. That is one of the, the main strengths of this movement. And as a caveat to that, since we all uh, and most of our listeners are coming from the same religious background, um, this is going to be a lot closer than if you were talking to somebody from a completely different uh, denomination or religious group. Right. Uh, but l- let's get into it. Uh, I don't think there's really too much to say. Jesus being the son of God, if you don't believe that, then you can't really even fall within the uh, categorization of a Christian. Uh, but I w- let's hop to um, one that had the first variance. Uh, Michael and I, uh, that baptism is the point at which one comes under the blood of Christ. We said that was number two for both of us. Daniel, you put it as, as number eight. So tell us why you put it there. So um, I do think that that is a really important uh, Christian doctrine. Um, so eight is still in my realm of this is really important. Uh, I just thought some of the other things are more important and really what that came down to is um, there are certain doctrines that I think kind of going back to your analogy, Stephen, in the web of Christianity, these are more central or the more load bearing doctrines. It's sort of everything else comes out of these. Um, And one of those would be the Trinity, which I think y'all have below um, this one. Yes. Now I do want to, say again, I think um, some people, especially in our generation, are going to uh, maybe have a sour taste in their mouth about an emphasis on baptism because the churches of Christ have uh, traditionally uh, maybe harped on it too much um, or been maybe legalistic about it, perhaps. But um, I think it's important to realize that Really, before the last hundred years or so, for the vast majority of Christian history, uh, two sacraments, two practices have always been central to Christianity and have been practiced by every denomination and sect of Christianity, and that is baptism and uh, the Lord's Supper, um, communion. And to to move away from that as the central uh, rite of passage um, saving act of the faith um, with all of the import that is in it is a huge mistake. Um, Even if you think that maybe the fellowship has misconstrued it or something in the past, um, you're doing yourself a huge disservice by ignoring that. So I do want to say I'm not against baptism by any means. And so, Trinity is very important. Just how you uh, ranked baptism as eight on your list, uh, I did the inverse where I put the concept of the Trinity as seven, where you and Michael put it as number two and uh, three, respectively. Uh, And I I mentioned this before to you guys, that I put that there on a technicality, mainly because, and as I stated before, that um, my... um, my framework for how I was doing this is, is it defined in scripture and how does it play into the story of uh, our salvation, the narrative that we see in the Bible? The Trinity is not said that specific word anywhere in scripture. And I believe that since scripture is presented to us within a 
the finite uh, understanding of human language. I think that if there's ever a loophole that we could use within scripture, that it would be in this case where God is trying to explain himself in a way that man can understand and that uh, God sent his son, which again is a, a human understanding of a relationship, a father-son relationship and the spirit also, something that's intangible. We have all these different ways of recognizing what God is and the Trinity is just a, a, what I believe is a man's attempt to explain the three natures of God, but I don't necessarily believe that you have to believe in the Trinity uh, for me to have unity with you. I do believe that you need to have an understanding that there's one God, um, that he is the only God, the creator, and uh, part of himself came to die for us to save us from our sins. Um, so I respect that. I think that that is a logical way to go through why you could you can fellowship with someone who doesn't see it exactly the same way as you do. The reason I have it so high is not only the historical uh, creedal nature of the Trinity, but also the way I the way I understood the ranking system. The way I was thinking about it is that if someone reads Scripture and they don't after reading scripture, you know, really paying attention, they don't say that Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit are united in some way, even if they don't use the Trinitarian language. Like if, if that doesn't come across to you in your Christian doctrine, then you don't get it. That that is central to who Jesus says he is, um, which which is why it's so closely related to number one. Jesus is the Son of God. Um, I, I think this, this is, I agree with Michael and his sort of reaction to what you were saying, Stephen. Um, I just think it's, this is interesting and maybe our, our listeners might be interested to know that, uh, one of the founders of our movement, uh, the stone and stone Campbell, uh, did not believe in the Trinity. He was probably an Aryan, um, which is a famous heresy. Uh, but perhaps not. Um, but he, he did explicitly say, I, I reject the doctrine of Trinity because it's not in scripture. Um, and Campbell did not, he, he accepted the Trinity. Uh, so not only is that interesting, but also the modern, um, church of Christ movement, at least in like academics. Um, so like teachers, professors, um, also ministers, there's a large effort to sort of um, rethink how we do theology so that another stone doesn't happen. Um, and that's really just coming out of a place where the, the modern thinkers, the current Church of Christ thinkers, um, are sort of de facto accepting the Trinity as this central doctrine. And so they're trying to think, okay, we know this is central, so how can we avoid the same pitfalls as stone? Um, that's yeah. not to say, Stephen, that I don't think that a reasonable person could um, could not be like stone and also reject it. What you so, so that's actually a weird. It's kind of a, a weird uh, thought exercise. Um, I, I strongly believe in the Trinity, but do I value a church group that uh, wants the freedom for someone to? to question those things, to, to have unity around 
you know, whether or not that's actually there. I, I'm not, sh- I don't think I want the freedom to do that. I, I think I want my church group to, to hold true, but maybe that goes against the freedom that I profess. Well, when it comes to the rest of the things on this list, I think that there are other things worth uh, <laughs> fighting over. Uh, how about we talk about, um, Daniel, I'm curious, you uh, ranked as your number four, women should not take a leadership role in corporate worship. You ranked that pretty high. Michael yeah. and I let it slide a few more down. So, again, for listeners, uh, I, that was another one where I believe the reverse of that. Um, I don't believe that specific statement and wouldn't hold someone to that. Um, but, uh, and really I, I was really, I was looking at this list again. I'm not terribly sure what my thought process was. I think, um, perhaps I was extrapolating that to, um, apply to all sorts of, uh, social, um, issues and how the church handles that, particularly with gender and how women are a part of the church. Um, and I would, I rank that above baptism. I did. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I have maybe a hard time thinking about why that I did put that so high. There were a few others that I put high that I'm struggling with, but, um, I think kind of the idea there was, is this is sort of the the most prominent um, issue of corporate worship and of how we um, how the church interfaces with the world um, is this this particular issue among many um, and so I think that's what gives it its importance and that's what put it so high on the list but again I clearly don't view that as like a a non-negotiable where I would disfellowship because the congregation I go to um, doesn't really hold the same beliefs as me on that issue. So I apologize for my, my faulty rankings. (laughs) Steven, let me put one to you. Um, So you put significantly lower at five spots. Um, Heaven is, is a physical recreation renewing of the earth. Uh, Daniel and I put both put that at seven, not the, not the most high, but pretty high up there. And you put it down at 12. You're right. <laughs> right. We were, we were going for the holy number. Um, why so low? Uh, for the record, just one right below instrumental music for you. Uh, basically, this falls under the same thing uh, where I was talking about the Trinity, where I felt that this, again, is man's finite uh, ability to describe a revelation that they received and trying to put uh, the vision that they were given into something that can be written down. Um, And so uh, I think that it could be construed in uh, different ways. Uh, Obviously, the book of Revelation is highly symbolic, um, but it does have a clear message in the um, uh, salvation uh, narrative. Oh, Leon Crouch is disappointed right now. You don't go to Revelation when you're trying to talk about eschatology. You go to First and Second Thessalonians. Read his book. So, sure. uh, <laughs> still, still applies though. I think, and again, I don't think my rankings really reflect this, but yeah. that one is closely associated with the environmental one um, because neither one of those are really explicitly stated in scripture, but they both come from 
a reading of a very uh, wide and pervading reading of scripture that understands particularly Judaism and to a lesser extent Christianity to emphasize God's created world, that God did not create as a sandbox for us to then go to a better place um, or to be spiritualized, but he created because he loves his creation. Um, And when you accept that, then these two other doctrines sort of flow out of that understanding. And so I think where we have the clear definition of, you know, black and white is the, the unsaved go to hell where I have that ranked as six. Y'all dropped it down to nine and 12. That's the clear one out of the two. If anything, that is written for us in black and white. So that's why I put that one higher than uh, our understanding of heaven. I'm almost tempted to bring up the Wesleyan quadrilateral, but I'll save that for next week. Um, I go ahead, Michael. Just a real quick uh, thought on hell. Um, Maybe that's one where I put in a technicality. Um, I'm open to the people. I'm open to the idea of those who believe in annihilationalism. If I'm saying that right. Um, I don't believe that, but I think it kind of gets to the same idea. Uh, that hell, hell is for the unsaved, but the idea of going to hell rather than just being away from God or something like that. Um, I'm, I'm open to the idea that it's different opinions there because um, if you believe all of the other things, it shouldn't affect the way you live. Um, Jews themselves do not believe in uh, hell, or at least they have a very, very different understanding of the afterlife i believe that they uh explain it as if your your light uh stops shining or your fire uh fizzles out or something like that anyway um i am more than happy to explain to y'all my stance on elders and deacons meeting all criteria as outlined in scripture oh yeah let's talk about that one right (laughs) so i put that as number five uh out of my list of 18 that goes way up there. And so this is where uh, maybe I dropped the ball, kind of Daniel kind of sees that maybe he's questioning his a little bit. This is where I question mine. And I think that this could possibly, possibly be something that is cultural to the time of the early church that may have uh, changed over time, possibly, but I will, I should probably say it's very doubtful. But I put it as number five because it, this is the instructions that we're giving in the church. And um, I, I think that we would be doing ourselves more harm to uh, use it as gray instructions uh, rather than the instructions that we should be following. It's in Scripture. And if you're going to put uh, the uh, Scripture is in there, Word of God, perfectly communicating His will, which we put at 433, um, then I think that you have to put the command for elders and deacons up there as well. Uh, I really thought you were going to say, I possibly, possibly should have ranked it higher. I was going to be flabbergasted. <laughs> um, but um, no, I, I, I get that, Stephen, that again, in this, while I, I'm really sympathetic to uh, kind of your criteria system because it's much more clear than whatever nebulous thing I was trying to do. Um, I think 
that this would be another example where uh, I think it may lead astray. Obviously, we disagree um, in that uh, it, it is clear, but one, you've already pointed out that there's serious debate about um, how it should be interpreted. So even though it's, it's a, an indicative statement or uh, an imperative statement, um, it maybe were maybe there's some historical nuance to it. In addition, you have to take into consideration the prevalence of certain themes. Um, so maybe the Trinity isn't as um, uh, clearly stated, but it might uh, it might balance out by just being all through Scripture. Um, while you might make the opposite argument for qualifications for elders, you got it in two places. Um, it's really clear in those two places, but it's just, it doesn't come up that much because presumably because the writers of the new Testament, um, or the entire Bible didn't think this is the most crucial thing. Um, uh, this is maybe just important for these two congregations that I'm writing to. That would maybe be where the argument would go. But you've already sort of admitted that you might rank it below that. I have a less good reason for ranking it as low as I did. Um, Stephen, I completely agree with you. In fact, I, I would take it up to say those are not cultural norms that are outlined there. That list is made uh, to stand the test of time. I think it's, I think it's uh, impressive how much it has stood the test of time. That Shame said, not putting it higher. So here's the reason I didn't put it higher. Um, every congregation I've ever been to, I could pick apart the elders and deacons, including myself, uh, and say, you're not qualified. I don't think that there is the congregation that has perfectly qualified elders is rare to non-existent. And for that reason, I ranked it lower and said, it's a, it's an, it's important, but it's not an issue of fellowship. I'm not going to leave a congregation because one of the elders I think is unqualified. Whereas the rest of the congregation who was before there, there before I was, or for whatever reason, um, that just you know, speaks poorly on the church. If, if it's every con so, so no, I agree. I agree, Stephen. I agree. But, um, wouldn't you agree, Stephen, that ever, and we're not pointing out names, but, um, like, like there are days when I'm not qualified to be a deacon and yeah. So, it, okay, so I think we're getting into the a discussion of somebody who has sinned versus somebody who is a sinner. I think if that okay. you no, you're right mistakes and you are you're on the path walking in the light and you stray, but you repent, then you're fine. I mean, you're making a conscious effort to be a follower of Christ. Uh, but I'm talking about uh, people that are not above reproach that uh, do not have a handle over their household, things like that. Where, and if you're saying that we can pick apart elderships, um, then yeah, you can find these little things where they struggle, but yeah, that means they're human just like the rest of us. But if there's serious problems, then that is something that should be a red flag for whatever congregation that applies to. That's fair. I would just briefly defend Michael's voting process as saying, <laughs> um, I, maybe this is wrong, but, uh, I've, I live out as if this is not 
necessary for me. And so I therefore rank something lowly. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're a good man, Stephen. So we, we honor you for your strong principled uh, thought. Uh, Daniel, let's, let's talk about the, the two topics that had the biggest difference between the highest and lowest rankings. And Daniel, you had the higher rankings on both of these. Uh, those topics would be uh, Christians should take care of the environment and Christians should be active in advocating on political issues. Give us your thoughts. Um, yeah. So again, those are some that maybe they shouldn't be so high and spe- specifically the political one. I was looking at that again the other day and I think I may have understood that more as should be politically active um, or should just be active in the world, um, which is different from what it says, which is uh, you should lobby for, how does it, how's it phrased? Advocate, yeah. You should advocate for political issues. Um, But the idea that I was going for is these two most uh, encapsulate the idea of distinctive Christian ethics, um, more than I think any of the others do. And that is, I mean, the Bible probably talks with the exception of God is one, um, which really isn't even on our list, uh, might be subsumed under Trinity. Uh, that's more likely that's the most common thing in scripture is these ethical implications of the faith that you live differently. Um, and so while I kind of misconstrued the political one, I, that was sort of the idea for taking both of those uh, environmental consciousness, caring for the created world, as well as uh, um, the political one and putting those high. So I, I put that one a little lower because for the same reason I don't really rate baseball as my favorite sport is because there's unwritten rules that or you're just a, you're supposed to know these things like you're not supposed to flip your bat in the same way I'm supposed to know that I'm supposed to be uh, take a certain political stance that is you know I, I agree with you that it is something that we should do but it's unwritten in the Bible so I think that it shouldn't be our focus for that reason so the reason I rated it as low as I did is not be – so, Daniel, I agree with you. I, I think this is what we've come to on this podcast. We agree with each other on a lot of these things. It's, we thought about it very differently. Daniel, I agree with you that if you don't get the ethical, ethical implications of what Jesus says, then you miss the point. Um, we're doing a Sermon on the Mount class in our Sunday morning class, and uh, the – you know, he ends it with, you know, the wise man is the man who hears these teachings and puts them into practice. There has to be practical implications about what he says. If it doesn't change your life, even if you have all of the right doctrines, it hasn't done you a lot of good. So in that way, Daniel, I agree with you. On the other hand, the reason I ranked it so low is because I am okay fellowshipping with those who I disagree on these topics, Um, whether it's political issues, uh, climate issues, uh, all of those different things. I can 
I can worship with someone. I can call someone a brother or a sister, but at the same time, you know, not thinking that those are the most pressing uh, questions that I have. We could get into some more thorny issues where I'd say, okay, well, if that's the political issue we're talking about, then yes, let's, let's raise that up a bit. But you, you make a good point, Dan. So if you are worshiping with uh, someone who says that they're your brother in Christ and their job is to dump toxic sewage into uh, third world countries, for profit and you're you're okay with that no i am not <laughs> thank you Stephen. that you're correct it, it could go that far okay all right just had to test the waters <laughs> well let me say this um i am okay with current sinners attending the worship assembly but you're right i would not call them brothers or sisters in christ if they you know, we're actively currently practicing something and we're unrepentant of it. I hope you all don't mind me guiding uh, our discussion, but I'm curious. I, we can get into the, the last few remaining uh, categories, but I'm curious as to what the different levels of unity um, or I guess in the contrast division that you would place, uh, how would you tier these uh, categories for like one would be you would excommunicate somebody from your church if they had a differing view Two, you would leave the church yourself if uh, the church had a differing view from you or three you would pull them aside and uh, discuss your differences there or four I guess you would just ignore it and five you you don't care it's not even an issue for you so let me, I'll go on this one. So I, I, th I think just to start at the end, that fifth one, I hope that there's none of these that I don't care about, but I, I would understand if someone said, I don't care about. Uh, Here's my go-to example. If uh, the elders were trying to decide if y'all were going to have chicken or beef fajitas for uh, lunch on Sunday. If the elders are wasting their time in meetings on that, then that's sad on their part. Decisions are uh, decisions. I'm just trying to make a point here. Sure. All right. So those exist. We got that. So for what is something that you just wouldn't care about? Sure. So well, okay. So sorry. Let, let me start off from the top, and I'm going to go down. Um, so I think issues at the very top are those where um, you're either a Christian or you're not. And if you don't believe central core doctrines, then Christians should actively tell other people, don't count this group of people that has this heretical belief as Christians. They're, they are not Christians. They are uh, they're some other thing that is not Christians. They might be, they say, oh, we believe in Jesus. But no, you don't believe central core teachings about who Jesus is. So you can't, we shouldn't call you Christians. Um, the next part is distinctive uh, beliefs uh, within a church fellowship. And this gets a little thorny here. While I would call the full gamut of Christendom Christians, I think that a right reading of scripture uh, is, it's, it's a major core piece of this list um, where I, I think that I cannot actively fellowship with you. You know, I can't go to church with you every Sunday. I can't be under the teachings of an eldership or ministers who believe something completely different than me on probably the five or six issues here. They're like, you know, two through seven, something like that. 
Um, and I, I'm not actually looking at the numbers right now, so I can't, don't quote me on that. Um, and then the last five or six ones, I guess I'm leaving out a middle portion there, but the last five or six are ones where I think that that's congregational autonomy, where I'm going, it's going to be a part of the congregation I choose. So it would be weird for me to, to attend a congregation, like to even try it out um, of a place that didn't have a kitchen in their church building. Um, I just would only go to ones that had it, but for congregations that feel strongly enough to not have to actively not have one, I would say, you know what? You're a Christian too. We're even part of the same fellowship, but we're not going to hang out. Um, we, we, we're brothers, but we do not actively um, go to church together on Sundays because of that difference. And it's okay to have congregations that have these little small differences. I think that's actually healthy for, for large metropolitan areas. Um, Michael, you just kind of got me thinking about the last few on the list. And I'll, I'll answer your question, Stephen, and then uh, you can give your own answer to it. But the, the last few are kind of tricky for me. So there's like two on here that I think are interesting. One is uh, communion uh, by only taking one cup. That would be one where I would legitimately, kind of like what you just said with kitchens, which is, I'm going to just go to the ones that do multiple cups, but I can respect people who want to do this one cup thing. Um, it's odd to me, but sure. Um, the kitchen one is weird. And I think I ranked it pretty low. I don't, I also don't have the rankings in front of me, but I can also see myself being very turned off by a congregation that uh, would view that differently like for me it's very necessary to view that issue as not important um so when you have a church that views it as important one way or another that would be my problem um so that's sort of a, a meta issue of this whole discussion um to give a brief uh, breakdown for myself similar to michael uh, my top issues would um for if we're going to name this podcast things of first importance, mine would come from First Corinthians fifteen and would be the issues of Jesus and Jesus' identity, um, that he died and was buried and was resurrected and appeared to many. Um, those are very important. Uh, I would probably also, in my mind, uh, bring in some of the cre early creedal ecumenical council. Um, statements about uh, <laughs> of, about the Trinity and other sort of central ideas about the Christian identity, but at the same time, I I'll hold that uh, in parallel with my identity as a, a Church of Christ person who has historically coexisted with people who rejected those ecumenical ideas. So while I think they're very important, I've also lived my whole life and will continue to being with people who don't see them. So maybe they're in a second tier. Your third tier is going to be basically everything else, which is um, I'm only going to leave out of a matter of taste. Um, I'm not really going to disassociate with any Christians on any of the other issues. Um, it'll be, I don't want to, I don't really enjoy this. Uh, like, so like instruments would be a thing. Um, 
sure, whatever, but I don't want to do that. So I'm not going to be there. Um, really the things that probably matter more to me, I would not end up leaving because of, because they're probably more, uh, mental or, um, more abstract. Uh, so like if someone, if someone in my Bible class kept saying that, uh, when we die, we become pure spirit beings and this earth goes away, I'd be just really angry in class every week, but I'd probably keep going. Um, And just a a shout out to ourselves. We have done uh, an episode on uh, when you should leave a church or should you uh, leave a church? Uh, I believe that was season three. Uh, But Daniel, I wanted to maybe clarify something you said. You wouldn't necessarily leave a church for um, some of these things, I'm guessing, but you would probably, when you're filtering what church you would start attending, like if you're in a church yeah. search, this is would be your deciding factors. Yes, yeah, definitely. Thank you for clarifying that. If it came out afterward, but I'd already built up relationships with those Christians, sure. that is different. You're right. Um, as far, and maybe we need to coin a phrase or some terminology for this uh I guess I've set up five tiers for um, your uh, division. Um, so we can call it the Crouch five tiers uh, schism scale. The, cr- the Crouch Pentagon. Well, that's too much like the Westland Quadrilateral. We'll get into exactly. that. Exactly. All right. So um, it, the matters of first importance, like Daniel pointed out, is uh, things that involve what is clearly essential to what Christ did and God did. Uh, And so when you get into variations of doctrine, those are where um, if I'm looking for a church, I'm going to try and find one that I think is most scripturally sound. And that applies to everything on the list. Um, But there's uh, the example uh, that I used before about things that just absolutely don't matter, uh, have no spiritual bearing. You can use my example of fajitas if you want again. Um, The ones that I would uh, just don't really matter to me, I would say would fall under the churches uh, uh, having kitchens, uh, Christians refraining from drinking alcohol. And we debated on uh, this list, should it be Christians should uh, refrain from social drinking where I do believe that since it is mentioned in scripture that that is something you shouldn't do, I would say that that is uh, something that I would, if I saw somebody that accepted that way of living in the church that I was attending, I would confront them about that and say, Hey, and you know, teach them the truth and love. That's what we're supposed to do. Um, but as for the rest of them, um, I, I would say that I would, um, if, Probably through number 12 or 13, um, I, I would probably uh, leave a church if they started um, doing those things um, hesitantly. Um, more, at least the top four, uh, but there would be a gray area. If enough of them built up and they're not doing enough good to compensate for my differing beliefs, then... I'm really having to weigh the cost of what I'm exposing myself and my family to. And at that point, you're really questioning, where's this church going? But um, that's my individual stance on them. Great. 
Well, I hope that this has been an uplifting conversation for those who are able to watch or just to listen. Uh, these are real issues that all of us face as Christians. So our prayer is that uh, that all that the three of us, our three families, and of all, all of our listeners would promote unity within the church, that we would think about these issues in community, and that all of God's people uh, would lift him up um, to the outside world, those who don't know him. Uh, thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review or rating. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.